Is it weird dating a psychologist? Would you always feel like you're being hyper-analyzed by your partner? Yo, I would be so... I'd be like, I can't say shit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just gonna nod. <laughs> Welcome to The Worst Asian Podcast, where a couple Asian-American millennials give you our shitty opinions on all things Asian. My name is Lunji. I'm here with my co-host as per usual, Ben. Yo, how are you? Do you know what month it is right now? Uh, Yeah, it's May. It's, that took okay, a while. Uh, okay, that it's May, while. but it is also API Heritage Month. Oh yeah, you're right. It Do is. you know what else it is this month? It's, uh, it's almost June. Technically true, yes. It's almost June. It is also Mental Health Awareness Month. Okay, that's true. You're right. I think we both need to get our heads checked a little bit. Uh, Yeah, I definitely need to do that. There's a lot going on in my head that needs to get checked out. Not for me, but (laughs) yeah. (laughs) Well, we have someone on today that's going to do all that for us. Mm -hmm. Years of schoolwork, years of dedication, years of hard work have led her to the ultimate goal. Yeah. TikTok fame. (laughs) Aside from that, you've seen her on various different places like BuzzFeed, Huffington Post, Complex, and now onto this podcast. Let's welcome onto the podcast, PhD, licensed clinical psychologist mm. and fellow black coffee lover, mm. Dr. Han Ren. Woo! Hello. Hello, hello. Thanks for coming on today. Thank you so much for having me. For our, our listeners out there, besides being TikTok famous, do you want to tell them what else you're up to these days? Um, I'm a psychologist. I'm based in Austin, Texas. I yeah. am in private practice. I have a group practice. Um, and I'm working on some writing and some speaking Mm -hmm. and trying to stay alive in current conditions. I like that. (laughs) One thing I saw, and we're kind of already going off tangent. Mm -hmm. I saw the video you posted of that possum that you caught. Oh, yeah, yeah, I did. That was the proudest moment of my life. I'm going (laughs) to say that. You were stuck at home during quarantine. And this was like the Mm -hmm. beginning phase of quarantine, right? Yeah. And I'm not sure how things are in Texas, but apparently you got a possum into your apartment, into your house. Yeah, yeah. Uh, So we have a dog door and it was deep quarantine, May 2020. And my dog started barking, went inside, thought she was senile, picking (laughs) up toys. And I trip over this possum and I thought it was dead. But it just, it got me, you know, it was possum playing possum. And oh my I God, to, it was actually possum playing possum. <laughs> yeah. I went to, uh, you know, like scoop it up and like was just casually strolling away and was in the house overnight. I screamed really loudly, woke up the fam and had to put the kids back to bed the next morning, had to trap the thing. because so I wasn't going to have an exterminator come into the house and like risk pandemic right because right, yeah. those first couple months yeah, yeah yeah we're being extra cautious there were the kids a little excited like, oh mom brought a new pet <laughs> <laughs> they were excited they were i mean they were scared but they were like this is the most exciting thing that's happened to us in months because you know we're all just like stuck at home not yeah. doing anything so that was that was you know some uh, zest what do you <laughs> do with the zest. possum after you catch it do you just release it back into the backyard because you never know yeah. it just might come back that's yeah. true. I was a little scared. I like brought it out and let him go and he just skittered off. It was it was a young one. It wasn't one of those ginormous, you know, like 
I mean, it was still scary, but it was young. It was little. I was going to say, possums get really huge. Mm. They get really huge. But I saw yes. your picture when you're like holding it and stuff. You're like, yeah, this is it. <laughs> it's, like, it's like a little Pokemon and shit. It's like, yes, I caught it. It kind of was like catching a Pokemon. <laughs> yeah. I bet the possum was like, oh, this was a really nice Airbnb <laughs> stay. Nice experience. <laughs> she, the host picked me up. You know, five, stars. Like, five stars. Five stars. <laughs> Easy. <laughs> okay. It's a great month, both in the sense that we're celebrating our AAPI heritage and we're getting to talk more openly about mental health awareness. So where those two crossroads meet, I thought it would be great for you to come on. But I guess first we should probably address the main question is, or at least this would set the foundation for what we're talking about today. Because there is this preconceived notion that within our community, there is a lack of importance put on to mental health. Do you know if it's true that... Statistically speaking, and we're not about the hard facts here, of course. Nah, we don't do. Google's but, not real. <laughs> are Asian Americans typically less likely to seek mental health than the rest of the general population? Absolutely. Like the statistics, I can't cite them off the top of my head, but it's mm-hmm. like way less. And also the number one leading cause of death for Asian Americans between the ages of like 15 and 45 is suicide. Oh, wow. So yeah. it's I didn't know that. a big problem. Yeah, it's especially in the past year or so it's just been really bad i know especially with like covid that happened the younger generation especially they're getting you know hit hard it's a crisis they have a harder time adjusting to being stuck at home for such an extended period of time right exactly do you think some of that has to do with a lot of our certain stigmas that are deeply enrooted in our culture yeah there's a lot of saving face a lot of don't take up too much space don't have needs you know, mm. put the family and the collective needs over your own. It's not that bad. It's not as bad compared to others. Like there's yeah. so many just beliefs that we have internalized that um, leads to a lot of young Asian people suffering in silence. You know, to be honest, I was thinking about this question. I don't think I've ever openly talked about either my own mental health or the mental health of my family members directly with each other. You know, most of the time, if let's say the subject came up, it would just be super quickly brushed off. Right. It's like, oh, maybe he says having a bad day or there's just, ah, you know, it's not, it's no big deal. It's just, you know, rub it off. It's fine. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Wipe the dust off. Have you seen that happen with a lot of your clients that you deal with that are oh, within that community? Oh, for sure. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, what's so interesting is that for our community, it's way more acceptable to have physical pains. So it shows up as like, my stomach hurts. I can't sleep. I'm dizzy. You know, so a lot of times people come to me for the first time, especially first generation um, Asian Americans, because they went to their medical doctor, they got their eyes checked because their visions were gray, or they yeah. went to a gastro because they couldn't stop throwing up and they couldn't find any physiological cause for what was going on. So, you know, panic is another big one because people think that they're having a heart attack, they think they're dying and they get their heart checked out and it's not a heart condition. And so people come to me after they kind of rolled off all of these medical, physical um, ailments and then realize, okay, it's all connected. That makes sense. That's so strange because my parents worry so much about my physical (laughs) health. And I just saw my mom yesterday after not seeing her so long because I was in quarantine. And she looked at the side of my face and said, oh, you're really starting to break out in that one patch right by your jawline. (laughs) And she kept asking questions for like five, 10 minutes. So, you know, clearly they care about my health. Yeah. yeah, But I don't think they would ever dive that deeply if I was, let's say, just appear like I was emotionally down. I think our parents have like, they know how to take care of us. Oh, you're not feeling well if you have a fever or maybe your stomach's upset. But then it's like, oh, man, I'm going through a breakup and they just don't know what to do or like how to approach them about it because they don't want to appear weak. 
Mm-hmm. They don't have the vernacular. Yeah, they, they don't have the tools. Do you notice a uptick now with like the current generation of Asians and Asian Americans seeking mental health? Yeah, I think it's becoming more normalized, which is great. But also, it's like becoming a crisis. People don't have alternative, you know, mm. ways to cope. You know, with the pandemic, with all of these racially charged, you know, Asian hate that's been going on. That especially all of these things together, like people are like, "Oh shit!" Like I, I better get this looked at. I better do something about it. <laughs> yeah, and realizing that this isn't something they can just you know grit their teeth through. And they shouldn't have to. Yeah, I definitely agree with you about that. I always try to stress with my friends, especially like my Asian friends, like encourage like open dialogue. You know, I'm obviously not you know a professional like you, but I do try to say like first step is just trying to admit that you do need help. We're stubborn as is, just personality wise. Yeah, and like I think sometimes being an, an Asian male, and this is just me speaking for myself. I'm not trying to speak for anybody <laughs> else. <disclaimer>. But, <laughs> but I'm so stubborn to the point where. If I can handle it myself, being alone itself yeah. is kind of like rebranded in my mind as being strong. Yeah, like stoicism. Yeah, yeah. Right, exactly. I mean, I think a lot of people just need some psychoeducation. Just like, how do I describe what is going on? Like,、mm-hmm. a huge part of what is helpful about therapy is just having someone facilitate the process of putting your experiences into words. When you don't grow up with that, when you don't have, you know, your parents talking about their feelings, talking about, you know, their experiences, your experiences, you just generally don't know what you're feeling. It's like、mm. happy, sad. Mad. That's it. There's no、yeah. nuance, right? It's like a very、and、narrow so, spectrum. Right. It's like going to a hospital on a scale of like zero to ten with、oh, the smileys. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like and they're、that. like, "How do you feel? Which one?" But there's only like two faces there. Yeah,、right. exactly. Yeah. Right. And that's really what it what it's like. People don't have the words to put their experiences into. Words,、yeah. and so you know, helping them normalize that process, being able to find that nuance, and then like just having someone like hold space and bear witness to someone's to, to your suffering, to your experiences,、mm-hmm. is so powerful. Like, wow, I feel seen, I feel、yeah. heard, and that in itself is so healing. And then from there, you know, we can untangle this web, and it's never just one thing. It's、yeah. like. You know, nature, nurture, intergenerational trauma. I mean, we as as Asians, you know, people of the Asian diaspora, like, just have so much generational trauma that we, our ancestors, have you know put forth before us. Yeah, exactly. If I had a really stubborn friend, like the one that's next to me right now, and he needed to speak with someone, what way do you think I should approach him to get him to seek help? Um, you know, just general concern, like, hey. Are you okay? Like, really, really? Are you okay? Yeah, are you okay? What's、dude? going on? You know, let's talk about it. And then also like, normalizing your own experiences. Like, if you have been to therapy or if you've sought help in any way, like this is what I did, and it was so helpful. And talking about it, I think that is probably the number one best thing that we can do to make this safer for our peers. Like,、right. posting、mm-hmm. on Instagram, Facebook, whatever. Like, I see my therapist, even though nothing terrible is going on, because. It's part of my wellness. It's part of how I, you know, it's like going to the gym. Yeah. And if we share our own experiences with it, it just destigmatizes it for others. Um, I don't know if you knew, but I went to therapy when I was younger because I was suffering from a lot of like anger issues, and you know, stemmed from like my family.、Mm-hmm. And I'm so grateful for it because I'm like, wow, it really saved my life because I might have handled it in a different way. Yo, there's another stigma about that too, right? People think if you take therapy. Especially in the Asian community, you're like, oh, they must be fucking weird. 
Or you're seen as lesser than, or you're weak. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And yeah. we got to change mm-hmm. that. Yeah, but it's hard to combat someone who has that very strong feeling, right? Like, how do you tell someone, hey, this doesn't make you less of a man, less or, of a person? Well, yeah. I mean, one way is just like, so these are things you've been trying. Is it working for you? Mm. Like, why are you choosing to suffer? Because if you have these accessible other tools or ways to help yourself feel better and you're not choosing them, then you're basically choosing to suffer. If you had a stomach ache and you had diarrhea, you would clearly go get some Pepto-Bismol, right? Yeah, yeah like, like, why would you not? You know, like, what yeah. are the side effects? Like, you have nothing to lose when right. it comes to trying therapy or trying, you know, getting mental health care. Like, if it doesn't work for you, okay, cool. Like, do something else. And, and the, you know, therapy doesn't have a monopoly on healing either. Like, okay, That's fine, true. you don't want to go to therapy? Like, Go to, go to yoga, take a meditation class, get some acupuncture, go join an exercise group. Like there's yeah. all these different ways that we can do, we can take care of ourselves that incorporate our mental health without like specifically saying this is the small box. Yeah, because I think sometimes when you don't know enough about exactly what therapy even is, mm-hmm. then you're even more reluctant to seek that help. Yeah. Piggybacking on what Ben said, I haven't told this to a lot of people, but I got some help during the beginning of quarantine as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, yeah. But I'll be honest, it's hard to admit that you need help because you think that it's something that you should be able to deal with yourself. I think because in my life, I've never been put in a position to even discuss my mental health. With my Chinese parents, we never even had that discussion about how you're feeling or how I'm feeling. Right. We can talk about what you did yesterday. Hey, mom, this cooking is great. When you see the grandkids. But I never genuinely asked my parents, how are you doing emotionally these days? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I do remember when you brought it up to us finally, when you mm. said like, hey, I'm seeking therapy and stuff. And the first thing I thought, I was like, damn, you know, like first, you know, I was, I was surprised and I was like, damn, I hope you're okay. Were you surprised? Because I am stubborn as hell. All right. So doc, I've known this guy since we were kids, right? I don't want to put labels on it, but like, I wish there's some things I look at Lynch. I'm like, man, how the hell does he just do it? You know, like, thank there's you, no, thank if, you. If, oh, I'll demo you later. Yeah, there you go. It's not paid or anything. But you know, <laughs> sometimes I'm like, man, like, he just doesn't make excuses. So when you admit it, I had to seek help. I was like, oh man, dude, like, wow. I mean, I want to highlight how common that is in our community because mm. for Asian people, especially historically within our, you know, homeland communities, like in the Asian communities, but also as Asian Americans, overwork is one of the greatest, most common ways that we, that our trauma shows up overwork perfectionism people pleasing and like if you think about like the invisibilization of asian americans historically and like what do we do oh we just work harder right like yeah that is just in our you know cultural tropes and yeah. yeah like what else can you do let's do this but what if that wasn't required or the only way or necessary what if it doesn't actually have to be that hard we feel like being invisible kind of keeps us safe Mm-hmm. If you're not seen, especially when you're trying to like, I always say this, but a lot of first generation Asian households are just trying to get by. You're yeah. just focusing on a single task. So you put your head down, you have your blinders on. Mm-hmm. And the last thing on your mind is to stop for a second and reevaluate how you're doing emotionally. But if you think about like the past two years, like where has that gotten us, right? Like this invisibilization, this model minority, like has it kept us safe? No. no. That's true too. Everything going on with Asian hate these days exasperates the problems that we have already had. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not gonna, it's not working. Like, let's try something else. Exactly. Um, Doc, can I ask you then, I guess, some everything we're talking about, is that why you became, you know, a psychologist? Yeah. So it's like, it's so funny because um, people would ask me this, like, 
you know, throughout my career and like when I was younger, before I was like more able to hold my own shit and be transparent mm-hmm. about it, I was like, I just want to help people and like, <laughs> you know, have these conversations and normalize it. But like, honestly, so many therapists become therapists to better understand themselves and their families oh. because like, you know, we see firsthand yeah. the effects of this stigma, the toxicity of like the generational trauma and like, you know, growing up for me personally, I had a lot of attachment disruptions where my, um, I, my parents went to the U.S. when I was two and mm-hmm. left me with my grandparents who raised me. So I was a satellite kid, which is very common. Yes, it is. And then when I was five, I came to the U.S. without my grandparents. So like had no memory of my parents, mm. but went to live with them. And then they were going through a really messy divorce. I knew from a young age, I'm like, this doesn't feel normal. Like, I, <laughs> I just knew that I had, you know, a different viewpoint on childhood and life yeah. than mm. most of my peers. And I always found that to be very curious. And so, you know, growing up, that was something that I really sought to better understand. I'm like, this can't be normal. So that has that shaped how you actually practice right now? Yeah, yeah. I mean, a lot of my um, my framework and my orientation of how I practice therapy is, is relational, mm. is, a, you know, attachment-based. It's interpersonal, where I think, you know, what is harmed in relationships is healed in relationships. What is harmed in community is healed in community. And so, so much of the way that I work with my clients, it's not just like skills building, but like being in a secure, solidly attached relationship with me is part of the healing. Because a lot of us, we don't have that secure relationship with our caregivers. We have had all of these attachment disruptions. And so to have this like earned secure attachment, this corrective emotional experience with a therapist who you know, looks like them and who have yeah. has had similar experiences can be so healing. My therapist was also Asian. Mm-hmm. And I didn't think about this in the moment, but to me, it felt a bit more... Um, what vocabulary that I'm not trying to look for. I felt a bit more personal to see someone that looked like me. Yeah, like resonant. Thank you. Yeah. PhD it, right there. <laughs> <laughs> All that hard work. And do you do a lot of clients that are in the Asian community? Yeah, most of my clients are people of color. Um, I think especially in a place like Austin where yeah. we're pretty like progressive and liberal, but also very white. It's mm. such a white city. And um, I think sometimes it can be more toxic when people think they're so liberal and progressive because uh, yeah. they're just more fragile. They're so woke. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that, that extends to therapists as well, where like people think like, oh, yeah, I'm culturally competent. Like I can work with these different communities. But then like not actually knowing the nuance and ins and outs of, you know, a lot of communities of color come from collectivist orientations. And it's very different in what could work relationally for our communities compared to white communities. Do you ever find yourself learning a lot from your clients as well? Oh, absolutely. They're my best, greatest teachers. Yeah. <laughs> wow. um, I wanted to go over some of the stigmas that we previously talked about mm-hmm. just to make sure, because I know everyone's in a unique situation and I want to just make sure I get to some of the more broader topics so that they can relate to some part of this. Um, I do want to say, and this is not a joke, the number one biggest problem is access. As in healthcare. Yeah. Can we just like say that is... Let's name it. Yeah. Like healthcare is fucked. Like especially (laughs) mental healthcare in this country. It's terrible. Right. (sighs) It's a hard thing to navigate. And that's me saying this with the privilege of having insurance already. But there's a lot of people out there that don't have paid insurance or free insurance. And they're trying to seek help. So that lack of access is probably the biggest factor. Yeah, I have to agree with that. Um, I got to also say like talking about the ease and like just trying to find help. 
because I think everyone has this like outdated mentality of like mental health. Some people probably think of like Goodwill Hunting or something. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Great, great yeah. movie, by the way. Yeah, great movie. Yeah, yeah. One of the classics. But I don't think people realize there's people like Dr. Han Ren. Yo, you're mad cool, yo. Like, you're chill. You know, I want to get to know her. I feel like we can have a beer with her. Right, right. Yeah. Off I've, the clock. And I think that's the thing. It's just spread the message. Going back to these things again. In terms of these stigmas, there's this fight that always goes on between happiness and success. And I think with Asian people, it's always heavily skewed towards success over happiness. Yeah, I mean, that's such a big one. You know, my like clinical niche is like I specialize in perfectionism and overthinking mm. overachievers. So a lot of people come to me and they're like, you know, one or two decades into their careers and they've like reached all of their checkboxes of success. Like, house, job, kids, all of that. But then they're miserable. They're so anxious. They're in these golden handcuffs and they have such a hard time separating success from happiness. And, you know, I think so much of what you know that work looks like is like, okay, what are the elements of like this life that you actually deem to be successful by your own standards? Like making sense of what you want. Like, I think so much of this work is like learning to listen to your body and learning to listen to your intuition and then trusting yourself enough to act on it. Mm -hmm. And there's trade-offs for all of it, but at what cost is your quote unquote success having on your quality of life, on your happiness? People that get to that end point per se have checked off all the boxes, right. have made their Asian parents very, very happy, but then right. they're stuck there and they don't know what to do with themselves. Right. And I think like another part of it is when you are used to just like go, go, go your whole life, like next benchmark, moving goalposts constantly, even when you like reach it, you don't know how on a nervous system level to like rest and calm down and play yeah. and relax. Like you just don't know how to do it. And so it's like, okay, well, I've reached these things. I guess I need to find the next goalpost, the yeah. next like pinnacle. And then that you do it because it's out of habit. And like the process of slowing down is so uncomfortable and unfamiliar to you. That's true. And like, do you really want to wait until you're what, like 65 and retired to be like, oh, now I'm going to take a vacation or like, have a hobby and, and people who do that sometimes they get to that point they go back to work because they don't know because they're bored because they have nothing to else chill. to do yeah and so it's like how do you learn to chill <laughs> for your 65 i think a lot of people just have a hard time trying to enjoy the journey of reaching mm -hmm. that benchmark mm -hmm. and then once you get it how you feeling man it's like uh <laughs> not good <laughs> they feel emptier yeah they're hollow <laughs> mm -hmm. how do we tell people to slow down then I mean, I think that's something you have to discover on your own, right? You have to, yeah. like, see the cost of not. And, like, maybe when you spend time with people, like, talk about your own journey and process and, like, you know, spend time chilling. I, yeah. I think there's such a, um internalized capitalism to that. There's this hustle culture. That is true. And, like, oof, why? <laughs> why? <laughs> Especially younger Asian people now, there is that hustle culture the mentality hope. that's like deeply embedded. Because mm -hmm. when you see so many people on social media, yes, appearing like they're successful, so like comparing themselves too right. much, and you're shit. comparing yourself to them, and right. then you're trying to run as fast as them. That's true. Uh, Doc, do you feel like uh, Asian households they're just trying to like be too successful, and then they just get burnt out, leads to even more issues and stuff? Is that becoming like a bigger thing now? Yeah, I mean, I think you know. Among my clientele, like a lot of what I see is people go to these like super rigorous middle school, high school, and they get to college and they go to college and then they like 
have failure to launch, right? Like yeah. they, they do the thing, they get the Ivy League degree, whatever, right. and then they like move home and they're like, oh, I can't do anything. <laughs> like they, they aren't able to have the skills to be independent, to know what to do next when there's not this like scaffolded like direction of, okay, this is what, this is just the you know logical next step. Like, oh, you have to pick a career that you want or you, you have to like figure out how to adult in ways that isn't yeah. just like school and work achievement mm-hmm. you know people don't know how to do that and there is a lot of failure to launch where like then the parents freak out and the, you know then people they're just living at home like i don't know what to do <laughs> they're burnt out yeah i think that goes into the next stigma the fact that a lot of asian people are trying to please both their parents directly or just keep face you go to the schools you do all this good stuff for the sake of making your family seem more um prestigious oh yeah yeah yeah. honorable yeah honorable but at the same time like you said how do i find a job that i want as opposed to a job that would look good to my family household absolutely and it's like it's a huge part of just like learning to know what you want you know like learning to listen to your body listen to your heart trusting yourself and then feeling the courage and empowerment to like Mm -hmm. act on it you know a lot of times people are like what what i really want is a career and blah 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 but like that will not be acceptable to my parents. And like, you know, I say this as if like, I'm not also kind of a victim to that. Like, <laughs> yeah, <it> was... <laughs> look where you are right now. Doc. Let's be real. But, like there was an expectation, right? Like, okay, you can get like a JD, MD, PhD, or maybe an MBA, right? These are the acceptable yeah. like career paths. And so I'm like, okay, well, if I'm going to do that, I'm going to do it in, you know, a field that I want to do. So like my parents probably would have really preferred that I became you know, a physician or right, a lawyer. Yeah. I'm like, okay, I'll get the PhD. I'll get the highest degree, but I'm going to do it in what I want to do it in. And, you know, ultimately that was a compromise. That was good. Yeah. But that's a good balance though. Because wow. you are yeah. kind of staying in your lane to what you want to do personally. But at the same time, you're also kind of fulfilling what they want from you as well. Yeah. And like, and to me, that was worth it, right? Because I mean, I like school. I'm good at school. Yep. So it was not like miserable to do that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's also safer because like I don't have to figure out what I want to do for the next year mm. for like the next seven years. I get to just like have this determined for me. But, you know, like after that, it was, okay, well, what do I want to do with this actual degree in this in this career? Have you ever come across people telling you that they feel like they owe their parents something? Yeah, all the time. Your parents took you here most of the time they put themselves in a much worse situation for mm-hmm. you to ha- try to have a better life. So is there ever that mentality with your clients where they feel like they need to do this because they feel obligated? Yes, yes, absolutely. And I want to say every immigration story is a trauma story. Like mm, wow. even in the best case scenarios, you know, it's like the grad students visa, <sighs> right? Like it's still yeah. a trauma story because you're li- leaving everything that you know, you are hustling so hard to bring your family over here. And so, of course, there is a degree of indebtedness Mm -hmm. and nobody gets to live your life but you. So if you are living for your parents, if you're living for your children, they're not going to be happy if you're miserable. So how can you have that like collective, like the collective happiness that, you know, the collectiveness of our culture, like in the frame, but also make choices that lead to a fulfilling life for yourself? Because the more you can be happy and take care of yourself, the more everyone else in your life will also be happy. But the hard part about that sometimes is when you're trying to combat all these stigmas that we talked about so far, 
sometimes it's hard to have an open dialogue with your family members about this, either because your parents unfortunately don't want to have that dialogue with you, or you just don't have the tools in your arsenal to have that dialogue with them. Yeah, I mean, go slowly, you know, before you have that conversation with your parents, have it with yourself, with your partner, with your friends, like, learn how to talk about it in the context of, you know, your own therapy, because mm-hmm. you learn how to describe what you want and what's important to you and identify your own values. And then from there, once you have a more solid idea of what's important to you, then you can share it with other people. Right. Or you, you know, have that conversation with your friends of like, wh- what has your journey been like? And how has, you know, this gone for you? And then you guys can support each other. Yeah. I think the more we can normalize that and like just having these real conversations with you know, all the relationships that we have. I guess it's just more comes down to like, just telling people and reminding them that, you know, you're more than enough. Try to go, like you said, go at your own pace, you know, and try to enjoy what it is that you want to do on this, you know, on this rock. (laughs) This is your one life, no pressure. (laughs) Zero pressure at all. When you're trying to to do the reverse, let's say you have parents that you see in, in a situation like that. I always find it really hard, honestly, to ask my parents how they're doing emotionally sometimes. And I don't know how to approach her about her feelings without triggering stronger feelings. Yeah, no, I mean, that's absolutely a real thing. You know, my my mom has all sorts of struggles, but she will never go to therapy. And I have to accept that she will never go to therapy. Hmm. And so, you know, she kind of like sees me as, okay, well, you're the professional, like you're the expert. So you should just like dole it out but i'm like when i'm talking to her i'm like i'm your daughter i'm not yeah (laughs) not wearing that hat you know and so i think i have to really like couch it in different ways of like okay well how how are your hobbies are you eating are you (laughs) you know drinking enough water you know how many walks are you taking a week (laughs) you know just like things that like are a little more accessible but can be kind of soft markers of wellness in other ways i'm like okay like maybe we should you know, look at getting more houseplants or (laughs) things that, you know, bring them joy in in ways that they are accessible in their language. Uh, Do you ever feel like you get intimidated sometimes because people are like, you're a therapist? It's funny. Yeah. They're like, are you you analyzing me right now? Like, nah, dude. (laughs) I don't work for free. I I like that. Is it weird dating a psychologist? Would you always feel like you're being hyper-analyzed by your partner? Yo, I would be so... I'd be like, I can't say shit. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just gonna nod. (laughs) Oh, that's so funny. I mean, I think that I have helped my partner's career. Like, I really do. Because he's he's in tech and he's a people manager. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, like, there's a lot about our jobs that are very similar of, like, you're basically a surrogate parent to people (laughs) without, like, saying you're a surrogate parent. Yeah. Right. And so it's like a lot of like, okay, how do you coax out of people? Like what is it is that they want? And like, how do they, you know, how do you empower someone to speak up for themselves so they can advocate for what they want within, you know, the framework of, of the job itself. Yeah. yeah. So the work, you better yeah. tell them, it's like, yo, you owe me for life, man. That's what you tell <laughs> I mean, them. I tell them that all the time. <laughs> <laughs> man. Um, a couple more of these uh, stigmas that I just want to talk about. With the recent uprising in Asian hate, what's that doing to the community's mental health in general? Oh, it's not good. 
I mean, I think there's two major things I've seen. Like, A, this, like, very reasonable hypervigilance of people are just, like, scared to go out. And, like, you know, I feel that, too, sometimes if I'm going to, like, crowded places, I get nervous. And, like, I'm still trying to live my life as I would otherwise. But, you know, there is a little bit more vigilance of, like, being aware of my surroundings. But I think another thing that has really happened is the um, anti-blackness that has really shown up in our our communities. It's so easy to point to the individuals and not yeah. the system. Yeah, that's so true. I've had this like, it's like a really awkward conversation having someone like, you know, Asian friends. The first thing to be like, oh, but look, look who's doing it. I'm like, dude, see, that's why it's getting worse, man. Yeah. That you just mm-hmm. can't. So yeah, it's really hard to be like the bigger person sometimes and try to be understanding. Yeah. And I mean, truly, it's how white supremacy is designed, right? This divide and conquer mentality, like the model minority myth was created to pit our communities against each other. Yeah. And it goes both ways. And whenever you see these like isolated incidents that get a lot of um, media representation, like, you know, yes, we want to bring awareness to it, but there's also so many other incidents that are perpetrated by white people that we don't hear about as much and really it is white supremacy that like maintains it and white supremacy goes way beyond skin color it's an ideology of like scarcity and yeah it's kind of like you know we're all minorities it's like yo we're in the same shit together man trust me we have the same exact fucking problems that you have like bullshit does not discriminate (laughs) that's true that's what it needs to be more about yeah we kind of lost it now our liberations are tied up together. I guess one positive I'll take from all this is it kind of has forced us to address our own mental health. Yeah. I've never seen this topic come across as strongly as it has because of the rise in Asian hate more recently. Yeah. If you have yeah. to do like glass half full, you're absolutely right. About it. I mean, I work in the restaurant, so I end really late. And sometimes I'll do go out, but and just even for my friends and stuff, like, hey, like, text me when you get home, please. Yeah. We take care of each other a bit more now, which yes. I think is definitely a good takeaway yeah no obviously has its negatives like how do you tell someone just to combat that then i think it's a balance you know like being aware of your surroundings having a plan b you know like carrying your pepper spray or your taser or whatever you need to do right like doing what you need and what you can to be proactive about your safety and the safety of other people around you choosing the uber instead of the public transportation whatever yes doing all that And then also like say like, but I'm still going to live my life and make those choices and, you know, combat like catastrophizing thoughts of like worst case scenarios because there's always going to be worst case scenarios. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think about like, okay, if I am going to actually enjoy my time here on earth, it's not going to be like. Living you know, in fear, fear down, so. right? Living in fear. Yeah, F that. I talked with my father about that, you know, like, Dad, don't, what about the climate that's going on in New York now? Mm-hmm. And then my dad, the funny thing is, he's like, man, do you know what New York was like in the 80s and the 90s, man? <laughs> I mean, it's always true. a roller coaster, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he says, he's like, yo, man, it's all about perspective, man. Like, when I first came here, you know, and then he starts talking about the whole like, The old stories he used to have. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That, that made me feel better, though. He's like, mm-hmm, it's going to be mm-hmm. okay. Yeah. It's going to be. And you're always going to deal with this kind of stuff. It was just nice hearing, you know, someone that's been through it and, you know, seeing it. And he's just like, yo, F that, man. I worked too hard and lived this long to like yeah. have something else like push me out. 
I love that. He's taking up space. Yeah. Yeah. He, he lo- yeah my dad, yeah. yeah. He's definitely that kind of guy. Yeah. Yeah. Your fear, your feelings in general yeah. are not inherently good or bad. I think mm-hmm. emotions themselves are not. Yeah. It's just how you react to them. Yeah. And we have so much more information now than we ever have had before. So, like, that's another important perspective. Like, yeah. it seems like all of these things are happening everywhere, but, like, you know, bad things have happened forever. Yeah. I'm sure there's times where you probably don't feel at your absolute best. Yeah. Do you have any things that you like to do specifically for oh, yeah. like self-care? Yeah. I mean, I go to therapy every week. I have, you know, oh. long-term therapy and I think I will always be in therapy because it keeps me accountable. I can't like ask my clients to like pay this fee, do this work and like yeah. not do it myself. So I think that's a huge part of, you know, my self-care. And and the more that I learn about myself and my relationships and my own healing, the better I can be for my clients. Mm. And then like physical activity. I can't overstate the necessity of moving your bodies, especially these days when we're just like floating heads. (laughs) (laughs) Go on your walk, get your exercise in. Like we need to move our bodies. Yeah. I guess it's both surprising and it's really nice to hear that a therapist herself is going to see a therapist on a regular basis not because do you think you need help uh, directly right now but just to keep yourself accountable like you said yeah yeah and i mean there's been times in my life where i have had like major mental health crises where i did need you know very specific targeted help and i think being able to talk about that normalize that and like my daughter goes to therapy and she hmm. lives a pretty charmed life. <laughs> but, she, but she's learning from such a young age that like, this is normal and okay. And I can develop the vocabulary to do this and like seek help when I need it. I think that's really rich, you know, like off and on, like I go to couples therapy with my husband, like, mm-hmm. you know, so like we just like therapy is a big part of our lives. And right. I think it's just something that we do. It's not like a, oh my God, like we're in crisis type. It's not just something that you take when things are at its worst. Mm -hmm. Therapy is not just meant for you when you think you're at a low point. Therapy can be meant for you just to maintain your current good mood. Yeah. Yeah. And it works better, right? Like, because when you're in crisis, you're just trying to get back to baseline. But when things are okay and you're going to therapy, then you elevate the baseline. That's a good point. I, I mean, I'll be, I'll be honest. Like, I still have that idea where, like, going to therapy is like pressing the fire escape or grabbing the fire mm. extinguisher because it's like, oh shit, the car's on fire, you know. <laughs> Instead of getting the car checked up like I should have, you know, yeah. the oil change. It's like, oh, now my huh. things are totally yeah, fire. Good point. Yeah. The other thing I took from all that was that if you think you're stubbornly smart enough to figure out your own mental health, doctor here has a PhD. And still is smart to know that there are limitations to what she knows about how to take care of herself. You cannot be as smart as her and think that you have things all figured out on your own. Yeah, I'm the opposite of that. I'm not what? smart enough to think that I need... Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the opposite of that. I'm like, oh, do I? Nah, I don't think so. <laughs> is there any other stigmas within our community that I have not touched on today that you would like to talk about? You know, I think one thing we don't talk about enough is this comparison of like this hierarchy of suffering. Well, like... I'm, you know, suffering in these ways, but like, there's all so many people out there who have it way worse, who are like, you know, hungry and don't even have the basics met. And therefore, Mm, like, I don't want to clog up resources. But like, honestly, you suffering in addition to their suffering doesn't decrease the suffering. Just because somebody else is suffering more doesn't mean that you don't also deserve 
care. That's been happening a lot, especially with like the Asian hate crimes and stuff. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know why I do this sometimes, but I'll read these comments when there's like this video. And then it's about people comparing about their, you know, suffering. You know, you're allowed to suffer. Like, you know, it's okay. Let's just suffer together sometimes and, you know, try to help each other. It's like one and upping each other with our trauma. Yeah. Like, there's no winning. There's no oppression Olympics medal. Like, yeah, that's so true. It's like, yo, it's fourth quarter. Who's down right now? Oh, it's Asians. I just saw something. It's like, why are they doing that shit? I want to wrap this up with one final question. Mm-hmm. I think this is a positive. There is this generational change. I think younger Asian people, yes, have that hustle mindset, but they are willing to talk more openly about their feelings. Have you seen that same change with younger Asian people these days? Oh, absolutely. It's interesting. And it's like, it's it's age, but it's also generational status or acculturation. So like first generation people tend to come to me with like this crisis thing. And then they like, you know, feel better in that way. And then they're like, okay, I'm done now. Like, I don't need to <laughs> you. continue Bye-bye. on. And everything. Thank you. Like this, this thing is fixed. Um, whereas I feel like there's this hunger for like second generation, like people who maybe didn't get that level of emotional attunement and attachment, mm-hmm. you know, from their parents, they come in and they stay for the long term work where That's they good. just like really want to like, you know, not just like fix the leak in their house, but like examine the plumbing of their entire (laughs) home and neighborhood. That's rich. That's deep, satisfying work that I think like, that's like where you heal the generational wounds and you become a better ancestor. Mm. That's good. We always shit on uh, Gen Zers, but we'll give them one gold star this time. Yeah. Okay, Doc, uh, we like to wrap up every single podcast with a segment that we call Ranting and Raving. It's just where we and the guests each take a turn to rant about something crappy going on in our lives or rave about something good. Most of the time, we're just bitching about something. Yeah. <laughs> uh, ben, you want to start this off? Um, it's been a while. I gave it some time and patience. Uh, paper straws. Wait, what? Paper straws. Paper straws. Yeah, you know, like, okay. obviously, plastic's bad for the environment. You yes. Know? Microplastics in, in our sushi and all that good stuff now, right? Okay. Um... I just try to opt not using it, but once it's in there too long, now it's just part of the drink. It, gets, it just disintegrates. Can't even like slurp with it. I guess in some ways it's fiber then. <laughs> oh, it's like Metamucil in my, in my, yeah. in my cold brew and there shit. You know, you're getting a plus benefit. Oh. You just don't use the paper straw then? I don't. So every time they give it, I'll just be like, oh no, it's okay. And I'll give it back. Every so how time. do you drink your drink? If it's a lid, I'll just pull it up and drink it. Uh, and if I'm on a train, I'm playing that you know fine line of like, yeah, oh, yeah. shit, I'm going to spill it on I'm your gonna face. I'm going to spill it on my crotch or something or yeah. my face. So yeah, paper straws. Mm. Good for the environment, but not good for my co-host, I guess. Yeah. Doc, do you want to go or should I go first? Uh, you go. I'll go first. Okay. <laughs> I'm not sure if you watch movies or at least Marvel movies, but Doctor Strange was out last week and I haven't seen the movie yet and I don't want to get spoiled. I hate people on the internet who do this no spoiler thing, but then the thumbnail to whatever their video is basically spoils the movie. (sighs) So like, for instance, if there's like a secret person that's that's like a spoiler to be in that movie, they'll put that person's face and then they'll write no spoiler review. It's like, dude, you literally put the guy's face. Just because you wrote no spoiler doesn't mean I can't see it. That's happened to me, yeah. And I haven't seen the movie yet. So I'm trying to avoid YouTube and social media for at least a couple more days until I see the movie. (laughs) Yeah, please. Good call, good call. Don't spoil movies. Come on, guys. What about you, Doc? Anything good? Anything bad? Um, you know, I recently saw Everything Everywhere all at once. <gasps> Great yeah. movie. Hell because yeah. my clients were like, have you seen this? I need to talk about this in therapy. <laughs> and I saw it. Oh my God. It was so good. It and it was so, so powerful. Yeah. yeah. 
yeah, it's 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 about our plight. It's the generational trauma story, and you know, joy is the cycle breaker. And yeah. Like, uh, and I just feel like how many of us have this everything bagel that like uh, yeah. carry with us, you know, this like nihilism, this deep like generational trauma body that we just like haul and like how there are times yes. we just want to get like sucked into it and just like fuck it all. Yes, yes. It's such a funny, quirky movie, but it says so much about our lives. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Michelle Yeoh, holy crap, her oh performance God, in it, yes. her range in that, just the way she was doing it, it was it was her best work, man. Yeah, it was great. Oh my god, yeah, Doc, you're cool, yo. I'm so glad we <laughs> talked about that movie. Hot dog fingers, the hot dog, yes. Yes. hot dog yes. fingers. <laughs> was it thumb kung fu and everything bagels? Uh, I'm thinking about yeah. the scene with the, the dudes that put up the things up their butts. Oh, but, oh butt plugs, oh, butt plugs. Butt plugs. Oh, to be, I, I guess I'm kind of spoiling. I'm that dude. That's spoiling. My bad, dude. I don't think saying <laughs> butt plugs is gonna spoil anything for the movie. That is true. That that was like damn, yo. It's gonna build intrigue. People are like, oh, butt plugs are. Maybe there you go. The plug for the book plugs. The book. <laughs> okay, Doc. It was really great having you on today. Yeah. It was a great conversation. We both had a lot of fun. Um, how much is your copay? <laughs> uh, that's that's a conversation for a whole other okay, day. Okay, Fine. Well, we can Venmo you. <laughs> we'll do a payment plan, if anything. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, for those on the internet that are interested, where can they find you and everything that you're about? Yeah, I'm on TikTok. I'm on Instagram, Dr. Han Ren, drhanren.com. And if someone actually wants to become a uh, patient of yours, is that something that they can do? Um, I'm currently not taking clients, but I do own a group practice and I have colleagues in my practice who are. So Perfect. if you're in Texas... Hit us mm. up. Where can they find you? Your practice? Uh, PivotPsychologyATX.com. That's my practice's website. Perfect. Nice. I'm glad we got to talk about a lot of different things today. There are a lot of points that you talked about today that I never even, I guess, verbalized, but hearing them said out loud adds an extra layer. I got to say, when you said that golden handcuff thing, I was like, damn, that's a that's a good one, dog. I was like, shit, man. Yeah. Brain, yo. She got that, <laughs> Brain. that unagi. She got that unagi, man. You can find us on all the social medias at Station Pod. We're on every single social media at Station Pod. Feel free to slide into our DMs. Let us know what's going on. It's very nice to hear from all of you. In the meantime, we'll catch you guys next week. Bye. Peace. Bye. Heard my little sis is buying a car. You'll need my secret guide. Gross, no way. I already used Capital One Auto Navigator. I bet your credit score... Wasn't impacted at all, so ha. I got my real rate and monthly payment, had an amazing test drive at the dealership, and made the purchase. Taking the easy way out. That's so you. Still not getting it. That's so you. Capital One, what's in your wallet? Terms and conditions apply. Find out more at CapitalOne.com slash Auto Navigator.